0: I have everything from blue collar workers to 10 year plus litigators and law firms that I work with. So I have this vast spectrum. So I I know exactly what you're talking about, where it's like, man, I need a body and a seat. And then you go through this entire mental exercise of they'll screw something up or they won't show up or they won't you know, do what they need to do. And they, it goes in stages. And one of those stages for me is Hey man, give them a chance, like be a human, like maybe they'll change. And I think one out of a hundred has that actually worked out. I always say that some of my, the best things that I've ever done in business is hire the right person. And some of the biggest mistakes I've ever made is hire the wrong one and not get rid of them.
1: Treading water is the same as drowning to people like you and me. You better start swimming. Welcome to I'm the One Podcast. I'm your host, Rob Green. Alan Draper here with us today. Nice to meet you, Alan. I'm excited to talk to you about entrepreneurship and uh, being a father, investing in wealth. Uh, give a quick intro of who you are for our listeners. Uh, so yeah, I call you a recovering lawyer and, yeah, <laughs> and also a uh, pest control owner, $20 million a year business. And you also mentioned you have a digital marketing agency and a few other businesses. So uh, why don't you give us a little intro of yourself is a little more in depth than that, if you wouldn't mind?
0: Yeah, for sure. Um... You know, I was put on this planet professionally speaking to start and build businesses. Nice. And so for the last decade or so, that's what I've been doing. Um, and I am a recovering attorney, but I am a named partner in a law firm. Oh, okay. So, uh, but I don't practice law that much. Okay. Um, and I definitely don't, um, you know, for the billable hour, that's not really my thing, but, um, yeah, I just, I'm fascinated with the, the building process. Uh, I remember when I started my first company about a decade ago and we're trying to make ends meet and I was, I I remember thinking I had this day where I was like, I can't wait until I don't have to worry about like payroll. And like, we're just in the clear, you know? And that day came and it came a lot faster than I thought it was going to within a year or two, we did quite well. And, um, I remember thinking. Man, you know what was cool was those early days when you didn't know mm. if it was going to work out, and so that's kind of been the um, kind of the overview of my entrepreneurial career is, I want to get back to that like unknown, and so the way I do that is by starting businesses. So I own twenty nine businesses, um, everything from law firms to uh, you know service companies like you mentioned, but um, the thing that I realized, Rob, was that it was those early days where the growth was happening. It wasn't when we were on cruise control, (laughs) you know, scaling naturally. It was when we were trying to make things work. We didn't know if it was going to work, things like that, that, um, personally I, I grew the most. And so I've just, since then I've, um, been attracted to that and I've been pursuing the startup and, um, you know, each year I add a couple of businesses to my portfolio and, um, I'm just kind of on this mission to learn as much as I can through the startup process. Now, I imagine you've got partners in yep. a lot of these businesses. 19 business partners.
1: Okay. Okay. 19 partners, which I've had good, bad and ugly partners. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So I'm sure. And I've never had that many, so I can imagine you've had a, a full range of different types of partners. Um, I got a lot of things we could, we could double click on here. So how do you think about, are these all businesses that you got in at the beginning or got in later?
0: So, most of them are businesses that I founded. Okay. But there are a couple where I, I've become an angel investor over the years. So, okay. I have a few of those in my portfolio. I have a few uh, businesses where I've just invested really early. Um, I don't... Anything past a seed round, I'm not interested. Okay. I like the the high risk. Let's see. You know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to 100x or it's going to hit zero. Yep. And I have a, quite a few that have hit zero. <laughs> we all do. Um, but... But yeah, so there's a mix in there, but the bulk of them uh, I have I created, this I started. Will, this
1: would be great for the audience because this is always a, a discussion we have here internally is, and I've done mostly founding and I've done a, a, a few investments and, mm-hmm. and one I bought a business and we, we grew it a little bit and then sold it, right? So I've done a little bit of that, not as much as of that as I would like. We're doing outreach right now to find some opportunities that we think would be, we can add our complementary skills to those brands and then grow them some, some more. So- How do you think about it when you go to start, you found a business, let's Mm -hmm. say, walk us through your thought process before you found the business, find, find, before you start the business, walk us through the idea process on that.
0: You know, a lot of my businesses have been, uh, you know, just problem solvers. Okay. So for example, I own a service business, a pest control company has 10 locations in eight States and we had a huge problem with our digital marketing needs and I fought it I tried different things I brought it in-house I you know took it to a third-party agency I tried a lot of different things over the years and then I got to the point where it was like you know what I have to create something to solve this problem and through that process I was like you know what if I if I have this problem somebody else does and if I'm able to solve it I'm probably able to sell it and so we got to that point so a lot of times it's it's that, but it can be, um, you know, come from just just an idea or a passion, something where, um, you know, we're, we're wanting to just create something uh, that we're passionate about. But most of the time, more often than not, problem nine, ten, nine times out of 10, it's solving a problem that one of my other businesses has.
1: That's probably the easiest way to do it because you know the problem. It's easy to identify. You're the customer. You're actually the first customer probably of your own own agency in this case. So you know exactly what it wants. I I find a lot of people try to go solve a problem, but they don't have any context around it. They don't really understand the problem at an in-depth level, which is what you need to create Agency or to create software, you have to have the context around it. You end up solving around the problem as opposed to the real core of the problem. Yeah. So, when you saw, let's use this example, when you solved for that for yourself, Mm -hmm. then you created an agency, I assume, that went out and sold the same services that solved your problem to other similar types of businesses. Is that correct? Exactly. Okay. And did you can't run them all yourself? So, did you put somebody in place to run that then, like to be an operator? Yeah. So,
0: so usually it's, a partner. So I'll, I'll go, uh, headhunt. I'll go find somebody and I'll let them know, Hey, this is what I do. I start businesses and then I back away. I don't officially run any of my companies. That's great. Um, and although at some point I have ran all of them. (laughs) So, so that's the idea. I, I create, you know, a runway for us, but I'm looking for a partner where it's like, Hey, dude, this is going to be end-all be-all this is kind of the game plan are you interested if not no you know no problem but most of the time I'm looking for an operational partner so how do you structure
1: those kind of deals because I think that's what a lot of people get caught up on right they're yeah. like hey are you I would assume you're bringing in some money they're bringing in some money so they're you're, they're putting some skin in the game so
0: most of them I've actually funded them hundred percent most of them okay so um, a few of them we do uh, require uh, some upfront upfront capital, but that's kind of my contribution is like I'll start it, but it's mostly in the form of a line of credit. I got you. So you a so the loan. It's, of credit. it's okay. not like it's not like hey, this is you know company funds. Now it's like this is going to be paid back at an interest rate, but um, and then bring somebody in because a lot of times I'm looking for I'm not looking for an investment in terms of like a financial investment. I'm looking for somebody that has a skill set. And they've never been able to break through because Mm -hmm. maybe they don't have the money to do it or they don't have the vision. And so I'm looking for, in in a lot of ways, I'm looking for a technician, right? Mm -hmm. I'm looking for somebody that knows something about a particular industry that I don't know. Like I I own a software company. I don't know how to code. (laughs) I own a digital marketing agency. I know a little bit about marketing, but not that much. And so I'll go find somebody that's sharper than me with those types of things. Bring them in, and then you know we have complementary skill sets, and I just get out of the way. Do you give them an equity percentage in the business? For sure. Okay. For what sure. What is the range that that could be in? Is it? I'm it's, assuming they're a minority partner. Minority. Okay. And so it's been anywhere from from five percent up and up to forty nine percent. Okay, that's a big range. Yep. Yeah. But I mean, they're invested
1: then. I mean, they're invested in the company. Yep. They've got, they're like, listen, I need to, I want to, I want to make this win. And like you said, most people, I think, especially their first business, they can't break through.
0: Exactly. Because
1: they don't have either the capital or they're missing some pieces. I mean, you and I both know how hard it is to wear all hats when you first start out by yourself. Yeah. And that's why the failure rate is so high, I think, on startups, is because it's so difficult to be good enough. At so many different aspects of business, yeah. That and if a couple of them, if you miss them, they're completely deal breakers. They they crush the business.
0: Yeah, I think. Well, one of the problems is, you know, and and Michael Gerber talked about this in the E Myth, right? He talks about how, you know, his example in that book was a baker, and she was like the best yeah. cupcake maker in town or whatever, right? Yeah. And she's like, "Man, I'm so good at making these cupcakes. I'm gonna go hang a shingle and and do my own bakery." And then she realized, hey, I'm still good at making cupcakes, but two problems. One, I don't know much about the business and all those things. Um, and I don't want to spend my time doing that. I want to spend my time baking the cupcakes. But when you hang a shingle, start a business, you realize very quickly that you don't have the time to do the thing that you're really good at. Yep. And so, what I try to do is I try to position my partner so they're doing, they have the time and the resources to do exactly what I hired or partnered with them to do. And um, add that technical skill to the business until they can find somebody to replace them. How do you find those people? Um, it usually comes through somebody that I know. Okay. So I don't really create job postings, hmm. um, but I, I just hired a new CEO from from uh, for one of my companies and just signed his offer letter today. This guy... Uh, I, I don't know that I've ever met somebody at his level. He ran a department for a large uh, national company without disclosing too much. <laughs> um, and he, he he ran a department that did $290 million in gross revenue every year. Wow. I met this guy um, through uh, one of my friends that introduced me to somebody that introduced me to somebody <laughs> that introduced me to him.
1: That's awesome. Did you put well, out feelers saying, I'm looking for this kind of guy? And then that spread the word throughout your network?
0: Yeah, so I start with um, people that are in my network that I, it, it's on a very intimate level. Like I'll go to them and I'll be like, hey, this isn't public information, which it's still not public information about which company I'm talking about because I haven't told the company yet mm. that this um, this role is uh, taking place, this change is taking place. And so I'll go to somebody and and just kind of work, uh, work like that Every once in a while for for a, a mid-level position, I'll post something on my social media, okay. something like that. But most of the time, if I'm looking if I'm looking for a business partner or a really high level employee, I'm going to um spend months to, I, I've been looking to fill this position for six months. Wow. Um and I've used headhunters before in the past, but my relationships uh just work a lot better.
1: Yeah. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. They know you. They yeah. know what you're looking for, what kind of person you are, they can help fill in the gaps. I mean, it's, referrals always the best. Yeah. I feel like it's, just, it's it doesn't scale very well.
0: It's just it's just a lot of work. So yeah. I'll put I'll put that work into uh really high-level positions. Okay. Um you know, this position, you know, that I gave the example of is going to take us to the next level. So it's like uh in in 3 to 5 years I'll be patting myself on the back for it. <laughs> I think that's super smart. It's so Tempting as
1: entrepreneurs to just hire fast, and I mean I've made that mistake many, oh, many, yeah. many times. Mm-hmm. And we try very hard to hire slow and fire fast. Yeah. And uh, I've, I've talked myself into opportunity, giving them an opportunity to yeah. I can train them, I can mm-hmm. coach them, they'll turn it around. I, I have done this so many times. I keep learning these less same lessons over and, and over again. But it sounds like you've got a, a really good discipline around not doing that anymore and just finding the right person for the role.
0: Yeah. And we, you know, I have, uh, everything from, you know, blue collar workers to, um, you know, 10 year plus litigators and law firms that I work with. So mm-hmm. I have this vast spectrum. And so I, I know exactly what you're talking about where it's like, man, I need a body and a seat. Yeah, And then you go through this entire, this mental exercise of they'll screw something up or they won't show up or they won't, you know, do what they need to do. And they, it goes in stages. And one of those stages for me is, Hey man, give them a chance, like be a human, Mm -hmm. like, you know, maybe they'll change. And I think one out of a hundred has that actually worked out. Um, some of, I always say that some of my, the best things that I've ever done in business is hire the right person. And some of the biggest mistakes I've ever made, is hire the wrong one yeah. and not get rid of them. And it's,
1: as much as I, you've done this and I've done this, I don't, I don't expect perfection. I expect just to improve my batting average over time yeah. and what can I learn and how can I get better? Yeah, And that's how I think about it all the time. Cause I have seen, I, I, you know, I advised the company uh, last couple of years up in Seattle, they've had tremendous success. Uh, the main founders put tons of money to work and had tons of success. And I've watched them hire people still hire people they shouldn't have hired, hire great people, but also hire some people. You're like, Whoa, that, that it really becomes apparent quickly. Like, Hey, that
0: may have not been a great hire right away. I mean, I think you can, um, you can get tricked a little bit in the hiring process. Yeah. Um, and sometimes you can trick yourself. Sometimes you have a need or you're busy or, you know, there's, there's somebody else in the company that's suffering because that role isn't filled. So you have all these pressures. Um, and, and so I, I do get that. Um, that's one that's one area that frankly, I struggle with. I have, you know, I had a sales manager a couple of years ago that was so terrible for our culture. And people told me time and time again, Hey, this is what's happening in the office. And this, these are some of the things that he's doing and it's affecting this person wants to quit really high quality person wants to quit. And I just hang on. I hung on to him too long. And so it's something that I really struggle with and trying to get better at. I, I feel like
1: most of us that try to be compassionate and care about the people yeah. that work with us uh, have that challenge. I had that challenge recently trying to, you know, let somebody go that the performance mm. just wasn't there. You know, we, were, we weren't getting to where we needed. We agreed what the goals were. We weren't getting there, but it was a, a personal relationship for me. and it was I held on longer than I yeah. should have. So I think it's, it's nice. I've got my uh, right-hand person, Elizabeth, here. And I said, listen, from now on, if one of us says this person has to go, the other one has to get on board. Cause it's been a case where I've said that and she's like, no, I, I don't yeah. want to do that. I like this person too much. Yeah. And I don't have and all the normal excuses we come up with to not do it. But at the end of the day, the only thing that I keep trying to remind myself is what is best for the business. Yeah. You know, if I just take myself out of it, what if I was looking at an outsider and I didn't know anything about this, what's best for the business? And then yeah. it's just, that helps a little bit. But I'm I'm still struggling with it myself. How do I get better at that all the time? Because that's what it comes down to at the end of the day. I mean, as 100%. much as AI is is taking over the world. I mean, yeah. it's still people. And the difference in a good. Well, you have seen bad and good is significant. But you have seen good and great is also significant. You know, a lot of times we have employees that are that are good but they're not great. And you get those great people and man, those are it's different. It's different. Yeah. Those are 10 Xers.
0: Yeah. No, it's, uh, it, you know, it's, it's one of those things that you just, um, it, yeah. And I like that rule that you have because, um, when I'm thinking about making a switch and letting somebody go, like I, in the back of my head, I'm, I'm like looking for something. I'm looking through their, you know, employment history or whatever. I'm just trying to find one thing to hold on to them. But what you said about making sure that you're focusing on the company is so important. And it's interesting because we live in a day and age where it's like corporations and businesses are evil. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you know what, what I've learned uh, over the last decade is yeah. Okay. I can keep this person. And even though they're not good for my business, like uh, I'm going to hold on to them. But, but the thing that I've learned is at some point, somebody else is going to have to pay for that. Mm. And it's usually one of my employees. So Mm. I can either let this person go, or I'm going to lose a couple of other employees, or it's going to negatively affect my business. So I can't hire another position, two or three. And that has helped me kind of, kind of realize, look, it, it has to be best for the business. There just is no other way Um, And in the end, if you hang on to somebody that's just not right, you're actually hurting them, too, in a lot of ways. I would agree with that. You're stopping them from maybe getting into a role that they actually enjoy, that they can really, you know, they can really, you know, develop in and things like that. And in the beginning, it's really hard to justify it that way because you're like, yeah, but then they're going to have to find it and do all this work. But you're really holding them back. It's a two-way street for sure.
1: I completely agree with you. And that does make me feel a little bit better when we have that conversation. I think it's one thing I always think about, and I just saw this with a company I was advising to, they brought in a lot of high skilled, high dollar talent. And uh I felt like you could tell right away. It's almost a gut feeling. The superstars separate themselves quickly. I've never seen anybody where I was like, okay, this person's just an average employee, whether it's when I worked in corporate America or anybody I've hired, and then they've shown over time they're a superstar. It's never happened. I've never had someone, I'm like, oh, they're like, they're good. They're average. And then all of a sudden, six months later, like, oh, my God, they're amazing. They're a superstar. I feel like the cream rises the top fast. And you almost yeah. know right away, you're like, yeah. okay, this person's a difference maker.
0: Well, I, I I, mean, I agree 100%. And I think the reason why is because it's not necessarily a skill or experience type thing. It's like, what's their approach? How are they treating people? What's their attitude? And that you can catch pretty pretty early, even if they're still getting caught up to speed with the business and things like that. Yep. And so then they take, they can take anything on, you know, as new things come because of where they, you know, how they position themselves, how they treat people and stuff like that. And so it's not like, okay, they don't have experience. You could tell, man, you can tell like day one, what, what is this person? What, you know, how are they interacting with customers? Like, how are they talking to somebody? You can tell it's different when it's, it's a special individual. So, yeah. Do you have any, okay. Do you got any tricks
1: or tips around that? Because do you do any testing? Do you have anybody um, come on board for a couple of days and shadow someone? Are there any things that you found to be really helpful I mean, you've got a, a wide variety of employees. Is there anything you found that really be helpful to not make that mistake of hiring someone before they actually? Because it's a pain in the butt. Once they come on board, then you got to let them go. That's not good for anybody. Your employees have to spend time training them. Have you found any tricks to really identify and separate those kind of employees before they actually become full time employees?
0: So, we do a lot in terms of um, background checks, certain mm. types of testing. Um, so if it's a software developer, for example, we're going to have them go through some standardized tests so that we can understand the level that they're at, because I certainly won't know by looking at what they've developed. Um, but I think the big thing is, um, you, you talk about your culture a lot. So if I'll have whoever's doing my screening interviews, they're going to share that company's core values and the history of the company. And then by the time that I'm talking to them or if whoever's interviewing them is talking to them, that's going to be the bulk of that first conversation. They're not going to be talking about their resume. They're going to be talking about, um, you know, what, where do the interests align? And I can tell really quickly if somebody's like, oh, man, you know, just had one yesterday. I'm uh, hiring a full-time videographer. And hmm. uh, the person that was in the interview asked him, hey, have you had a chance to look at Alan's social media? It's kind of what he's into. And he's like, oh, man, I've been traveling and I've been doing this <laughs> and that. That's perfect, man. That's That's no problem. You just told me more than you ever could you know just by what you didn't do. So there's some tricks like that. But talking about the culture, I think at the end of the day, you have to get to a point where you are aligning interests. Yes. So you're like, okay, where do you wanna be in five years? So I'll ask this question. I'll say, where do you wanna be in five years? And how does working here help you get there? I love it. And if they can't answer that question, um, it's probably not a good fit.
1: That those, those are two great questions. I've got two favorites of my own. And the number one is what you hit on already is what did you do to prepare for this interview? Yeah. And that tells you night and day. Well, I looked at one site and then, yeah, that yeah. was I got busy with something else versus – I had a guy who used to work for me for a couple of years who's now started his own agency, actually, on Amazon, Amazon agency. I love this guy. He still talk to him all the time. And he came in the first time. He's like, okay, well, he cold emailed me, by the way, which is he's already in. Like, he cold emailed me and said, hey, I looked up your products, looked up your brands. I think you could improve here, here, and here. (laughs) So I was like, all right, we're already ready to hire this guy. Like, you don't see this anymore. Like That's how I used to think about things when I was looking for a job is like, how do I add value? So he was already up here. He walked in at the first interview. I interviewed him. I said, what did you do to prepare? Well, I listened to this podcast that you were on a couple of years ago with so-and-so-and-so. Then I watched this other presentation. You did this mastermind. I was like, Dude, this guy's hired already. Yeah. Like, we're done. Yeah. This is it. I, I, I can teach him the skills. Exactly. I, one of my friends, uh, Dr. McCoy, who I just interviewed the other day, um, said uh, he looks for hungry, humble, and smart. Yeah. And I love that. And I'm going to start borrowing that more. It's hard to assess the hungry and the humble part. The smart we can do the standardized yeah, test yeah. on, we use the wonderlick as an uh, okay. I, I, IQ, so it's an approximation. All the, everybody that does the—it's um, a 12-minute test. Do you know okay. anything about the Wonderlic? It sounds familiar. It, uh, NFL uses it a lot. So going into the NFL, they force you to take the Wonderlick really? test. Uh, <laughs> I think—what's uh, his name? I uh, used to play for Texas uh, quarterback—oh, uh, man. Cole McCoy. No, Young. Vince Young. Vince Young. Vince Young yeah. is famous for not doing very well on it. Uh, so it, it, as a quarterback, I mean, he's got, it's tough now. Oh,
0: I can't imagine it, it, to read defenses oh, and understand geez. all the plays, you better be
1: smart, right? Yeah. It better be. So it's a 50 point, it's a 50 question test in 12 minutes and you, it gets progressively harder. So question number one will be something like two plus two. And it was like, right, four, I got this thing. And you're <laughs> flying through and it starts getting harder and harder and harder. And it's the only, I think it might be the only, I did pretty well on it, but it might be the only test I've ever not finished in my life. I got to like hmm. 49. And I was like, oh, my, I was like, wow, I've never, I mean, I've always been like done in like 10 minutes on a test. Yeah. And it was one of those. So we use that as a barometer to give you an idea. An average score is like 19 hmm. out of 50. And so that's mm-hmm. how we, that's what we use for IQ. Okay. Just be like, Hey, listen, I can't have you get a 10 yeah. or a 12. Like my, my 13 year old daughter will get a, you know, higher than that. Like I can't yeah. have you do that. It's got to be a, above average intelligence. Hmm. So we use that for standardized. And then we try to measure the rest of it through interviews and behavioral questions. Um, the other, my other favorite question that I, as my all time favorite that I got from a friend a, year, a few years ago in the mastermind is uh, Alan, if we were to bring you on. And in sixty days, we had to let you go. What's the most likely reason we had to let you go? Yeah, I like that. And they that you everybody says that's a, uh, that's a great question. I've never had yeah. that, and you can see the wheels turning. And what's so crazy about that question is the answers they give you because of the way it's worded. Yeah, uh, I've had people. My favorite all time answer. <laughs> this guy was doing pretty well in the interview, and he says, oh, "Man, he sat yeah. there, and I I don't say anything. I just let him let him work right." He goes, uh, I guess gross incompetence, not only not just incompetence, but gross incompetence. And I was like, wow, that is my new favorite answer to that question. Oh, man. But I've had everything I've had. Oh, I was late too many times. Most people didn't like me. I couldn't get along with others. Oh man! And so that That's a question, cool question has been the most revealing I've ever asked. And you know, some, some people are smart enough to, to nail it right with the right answer and what yeah. what, we think, what hopefully is true, but the right answer of what we're looking for, right? So yeah, uh, that that one has been the most revealing. Those two are my.
0: I don't generally have standardized interview yeah. questions,
1: but those are two that I that I love to try That's to figure cool. out.
0: Another thing that I've learned is um, whatever question you ask, if you frame it in kind of this context that you're going to ask somebody else about it, mm. kind of, you, you know, so I would say something like, Hey, if, you know, if I called your previous employer and I asked him why you left, what do you, what is he going to tell me? Or is she going to tell me? Because what in his mind or her mind, they're thinking, Oh, this dude's going to call him, So I got to, you know, make sure that I give him a straight answer here. But Um, So the big ones, I try to especially that question. I love that question. I want to know. Yeah, I want to know what happened with their previous uh, employment. I want to know. I love that. I love that. I mean, it's such a
1: challenging thing to assess uh, you know, whether they're a cultural fit, whether they're a skill fit, whether they're going to be hungry. Yeah. I mean, it, it definitely yeah. feels like one thing in, in, in the mastermind that, that, that I, uh, I go to every few four months we talk about it all the time and we, we shifted, you know, from a few years ago being more tactical than it was more strategic, which it still is a little bit of both of that, but a lot of hiring, you know, how do we find better people? How do we find yeah. better fits? It, it's such a difficult problem today. You know, we, yeah. we hire overseas sometimes, overseas can throw in some new, you know, cultural issues, um, time zone issues, all that kind of stuff. So it's, it's something we're always trying to get better at.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, I've always kind of lived by the mantra that if, if I take care of my people, my people will take care of my customers, my customers will take care of me and you, and it's super cliche to say, but it's, it's your people are going to build your business. It's not you. One of the you know, when I, I have a lot of proud moments in, in my business career, but the moments that I think I'm the most proud of are when I go into a meeting and I don't recognize a few of the people that work for a company that I nice. own and I see the things that they've done and how their, um, their work has changed the company. They change the logo or they change this procedure or they change how we do this or that because then they're really passionate about it because there's that buy-in. Um, a lot of entrepreneurs struggle with that. A lot of small business owners have a really hard time letting go of the reins. Yeah. Um, the quicker they realize that it's not their company, even though it is their company, Hmm. um, the, the more they're going to be able to scale, Hmm. the better they are going to be at growing it. Yeah. One of my favorite
1: moments is when they say, we don't need you in this meeting. Oh, man. That is the best. When it transitions Music from, hey, can we get gears. your opinion? Your, and then it goes from like, nah, we got this. We don't need your opinion on
0: this. You know, it's... So I used to work in an office. Okay. And up until about four years ago. And I'd go in there every day and then I kind of backed it out a couple days a week. And I noticed when I went into the office that people would ask me for things and they'd, hmm. they'd you know, ha- ask for my opinion about stuff. And then when I'd go home like silence, right? Wouldn't hear anything from them. And I realized like me just being there, I was just getting in their way.
1: Mm, That's awesome. And so
0: you have to, you have to get out of their way in a couple of different ways, not just physically out of their way. Yeah. You, you have to make sure that they know that they can screw up and you're going to support them. You're going to have their back.
1: That's great. Great advice.
0: You know, there's a story and it was about this famous old banker in like the early 1900s. And I don't know if it was Charles Schwab or JP Morgan. But um, one of one of the uh, accountants or traders made like a multi million dollar mistake, which back you know back then two million dollars is you know <laughs> fifty plus now. And uh, the J.P. Morgan whatever calls him to his office. Guy packs up his little box of stuff, <laughs> walks in there with his box of stuff, and uh, J.P. Morgan looks at him and he's like, "What what's with the uh, what's with the box, man?" And he's like, "Oh well, you're gonna, you know, fire me because my mistake." He's like, "Fire you! I just invested two million dollars into you, and you're the only person here that's never gonna make that mistake again." And so, if we have that um, with certain types of mistakes, right? Fair enough. It's not every mistake, right? But if it's a, "Hey, this person's out there hustling; they're trying to do the right thing." Um, You know, I have this method where I fire uh, bullets first, then cannonballs. So I'll test Mm. things out, and if they're testing things out trying to find out where exactly they're aiming and they make a mistake. That's okay. I got their back. Cause when you show loyalty at that level and you're like, Hey, you made a mistake. You, you learned like, I've got your back, especially in front of other people, that loyalty, they will never forget that. And they will always be loyal to you. You can't buy that. You can't buy that with increased salary. I I
1: love that. I've got a, a little great phrases note in my phone Bullets first, cannonball second is going in the great phrase I wish it was
0: mine. I, I, I wish it was mine. Do you it's know Jim it? It's Jim Collins. Oh yeah, Jim yeah, Collins. Yeah, his book, Good to Great. I think yeah. he introduced it.
1: Yeah, I, I just co-opt all those sayings. I don't remember where I get them all from, and I put yeah. them on the phone, and <laughs> and I pick a few that I like that I, I keep using over and over again. Yeah, and, sure. and then they're like, "Where'd you hear that?" I, I don't know somewhere like, along the way. <laughs> and uh, some of those great phrases really they they hit home that point. For sure. uh, visually, like you can see it for me, at least that's how I think about it. It's like, yeah, I can see the bullets and then I can see the cannonball. Yeah. And it just really hammers home that point. So I, I, I absolutely love that. Um, um, while we can talk about entrepreneurship all day long, you'd mentioned earlier about making short term sacrifices. I think sacrifices is yeah. a key word for you for entrepreneurs. Tell us a little bit about what we mean by that.
0: Yeah, I think especially what's going on in today's day and age with social media and stuff, and mm-hmm. I'm making a big social media push to fight against this. It's like um you know 20 year 20 year olds will go rent a Ferrari <laughs> take a bunch of pictures put it all over social media and then give advice about how they became an overnight success and uh that's not entrepreneurship and I just actually had a really tough conversation with one of my partners um we started a software company a couple of years ago we're pre-revenue we're man it's it's going to be a really tough road and I told him something. I said, "I don't want to rob you of the entrepreneurial experience." And he's like, "No, man, you're not robbing me of anything like I'm not you know because we were talking about his salary and benefits and all these things. and um, <laughs> when I started my first company, I was practicing law in downtown Phoenix. I quit my job, I go home, I tell my wife, Hey, um, yeah, i'm gonna you know I'm not gonna be a lawyer anymore." And she's like, Wait what? <laughs> and I'm like, Oh, yeah, and I'm gonna start a pest control company. <laughs> Wait, what And then I said. And we're gonna to move to Detroit, Michigan. Oh, ooh, ooh that last one. Oh. And you know what she said? What? Let's do it. Wow. So it was, but it was in that process where I, man, I'm so thankful for. I'm so thankful for that grind. And and that's something that I want to make sure people know that there is a sacrifice. And that sacrifice is gonna change their lives. You can take everything from me m- monetarily. I will build it again. And it's because I know how to, um, you know, I moved out of a really comfortable house in Arizona. I moved into a two bedroom apartment in Detroit with, uh, my brother sleeping on the couch in the living room and two kids, two young kids. And it's like, yeah, I can't buy that experience. So I'm, I'm kind of on this mission. Let's sacrifice when we're building Mm -hmm. our businesses and we're building wealth, right? Like I'm not a Gucci belt wearer. I'm not like necessarily against it, but I don't think you should be wearing one unless you have the wealth to back it up. Uh, About a year ago on my social media, I created this poll and I said, would you rather be wealthy or look wealthy? And Mm. you can't have both. And I'm like, everyone's going to select. I would rather be wealthy. It was younger generation. It was 50, 50. I had person after person say, is there any way we can look a little wealthy? And so that's my thing, man. Like I, I want, um, I grew up humble beginnings on farm in, in Oregon, Idaho, right on the border. And, um, I've seen what works. And, um, you know, you, I have 10 laws that govern, uh, wealth. I I believe that there are laws that govern wealth, just like there are laws that govern, govern our physical, uh, reality. If I go to the top of this building and I reach over, drop a pen down, we know everyone knows what's going to (laughs) happen. And I have laws. And one of my laws is that, you know, you don't have any type of toy or luxury till you have at least a million dollars net worth, and it's probably higher now because a million dollars isn't what it used to be. Right. But you know, that's my that's my whole thing about sacrifice is I think that if it's a little different if you go out, bust your butt, create a business, and make a million dollars than if you go buy a lottery ticket and make a million dollars. Those those two million dollars they're not created equally.
1: Or if you worked at a big company. And made a million dollars over a few years. Also, a lot of people I, I find, I, I worked in corporate America for a while and they overestimate the value that they put into, that they, they brought to this hundred year old company that would run <laughs> with or without them. Oh, right. Yeah. And they think they were the catalyst to making all this revenue. Yeah. And you're like, if you just disappeared tomorrow, that those orders would most likely still come in. Yeah. And still done. It's, it's different. I think I, two phrases come to mind. Hard choices, easy life. Yeah. Easy choice hard easy choices hard life. Yep. And then the other one that I love, I use all the time is, you know, we travel a lot. We, you know, live here in Phoenix and and uh, we get out get out of town the summer. It's brutal here, so yeah. we're fortunate enough to leave the kids that get out of school. We go somewhere other than, you know, yeah, Arizona. Here. And uh and then we come back right before school starts and it's perfect for living in Phoenix. And a lot of people I've met over the years when we've done this like, "Oh, I, I want to do that." And I'm like, "Yeah, you want to do what I do, but you're unwilling to do what I exactly. did." Exactly. And that I say all the time to people because I can't, we used to, uh, for gosh, for a long time, we went to San Diego quite a bit. We have friends out Mm -hmm. there and their friends would come over and year after year, I'd see them like, man, I want to, I want to do this. I want to do something like this. And I'm like, yeah, how can I help? What do you want to do? Yeah. Well, no, I was just, you know, I don't, I don't really want to do anything. It was just kind of an idea. They want the easy button. Right. Yeah. And I, I do think that I, you appreciate it a heck of a lot more when you do what you did and you grind through it. And I'm not saying that's the only way I'm saying that you definitely give yourself a lot of confidence and I feel the same way. Like if everything was gone tomorrow, I'm going to figure it out. Like you put, drop me off in the middle of nowhere. And I'm going to figure out a way to make it happen.
0: I used to get offended because I'd have so many people reach out to me on social media, call me you know, friends over the, over the years. And they're like, Hey, Alan, I've seen that, you know, you bought another house or you did this or you did that. And, um, you know, how can you help me get started? Mm. And, um, my very first thought, I don't always say it, but my very first thought is you don't want to do what Mm. I did. You, it, you know, when, when you're starting a business, man, you really have to be careful because it's going to hurt your marriage. Mm. It's going to hurt your relationships. You are not going to have friends because you are not going to have time for them. Yeah. And, and for a long time, I'm like, they would never follow up with me. It's like, man, you wouldn't even follow up. So you're certainly not, and every once in a while there is, there's somebody out there willing to do it. But and that's my entire platform. That's what I'm talking about, is that I'm looking for the people that they're like, oh yeah, easy. And I've ran into a few of them. They're like, hey man, I have a nice house in Phoenix, Arizona. I'm gonna move, you know, to cold weather. My wife's from LA. Hmm. That was not an easy move, right? right? To to Detroit winters and stuff. And from Detroit, started my business there, got it off the off the ground, moved to Boston, wow. started my business there. And then we finally came back, but, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's something that's required. The sacrifice is required. That one of the first
1: questions, I I get the same thing where people are like, oh, you know, I want to, I want to do my own business or I want to do, I don't want to work for anyone else or I want to do something right. More than what they're doing now, which I've always applaud. And I'm always, I mean, I have, I'm such a believer in capitalism and being an entrepreneur, like that is my core. I'm not a religious guy. That's probably my religion is I truly believe in that. And I, I love helping people. I love supporting people. But one of the first questions I always ask is great. What are you willing to give up to get there? Exactly. And it could be money. Well, almost always will be money. Yeah. Time and energy. It's going to a combination of those three things. And so many people, and, and some people get offended by this, but I know a lot of guys that are are entrepreneurs. Yeah. Right. And <laughs> I, I heard like a that. lot where they're like, you know, I'm talking about for a decade, like, Hey, I want to do this. I want to be an entrepreneur. I'm like, listen, it's it's been a decade. Like it's probably not going to happen unless something really changes your life. And they get the golden handcuffs. They get a good paying yep. job. They got kids. They got a mortgage. I get it. I was there. Yep. I was in the same boat. And I, you're making good money, and you got a comfortable life, and and you're like, uh, you know, I could just do this. I could just do this. But man, it it, it hurts my 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 brain and my heart to do this because I, I hate it so much. I got to go do my own thing. I'd rather do my own thing and fail, hundred percent, than go and do that and be comfortable. For me. But the people that aren't wired that way, it's just, they're it's, not going to change that way. And that's okay.
0: Yeah. But I can't help you. No, it's a, I've learned over the years that it's a personality trait. Mm. Risk tolerance, I, I think, is a personality trait. And I have a lot of really good people that work for me, like some of the best people in the world. They clock in, they clock out, they go in their family, they don't think about work until the yeah. next day. Some of the scariest words to me are, a stable salary, mm. and good benefits. <laughs> Even I though a lot of my companies offer that. <laughs> right. But for me, for my personality type, right. I'll risk it all. I'll live I'll yep. live in a small apartment. I'll sleep on the couch. I don't care. It's just, you know, and it doesn't necessarily make me better than anybody else. It's just different. And I want people to understand what it takes to, to get to that level of success.
1: Alan, you're getting me fired up to start another business right now.
0: I us do it, stuff, man. I, Let's I, I do love... it. I have a few ideas.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, guys like us don't ever have a shortage of ideas. Yeah. It's always people to work with, which I, I give you tremendous kudos for doing that because that right. is the challenge, right? I, I've got ideas every day probably and businesses that I want to start. Yeah. It's, it's getting the person to help execute it or the partnership, which I love that model of what you've done, of partnering with somebody and giving them the reins to kind of run it and you pull out of it. And then you give advice where necessary and and layer on or connect in some capacity to somebody else that's done that, I I love love that idea. Uh, you about let's talk a little bit about family. You've got three yeah, kids, three kids. Yep. Okay, yeah, two back in the in the day yep. when you
0: went to Detroit, yep. but now yep. you've had a third one since then. Yep. So when we moved to Detroit, I had a two year old boy and a four month old boy. Oh wow. Um, and then uh, my daughter came along about five years ago, changed our entire household. So nice. So you've got yeah. you said eleven,
1: nine, and five. Yep okay how do you bring them integrate them into the businesses or do you
0: no I do um, they um, you know i I drive some nice cars i'm uh, uh, I, I love uh, certain types of cars <laughs> and you can say it, Alan. you're not bragging. What kind of, any, I'm a car guy
1: too. Any, what's your, what kind of cars are we talking that you love?
0: Uh, we, uh, Ferraris okay. are, are a big thing. We, we found a little niche there and we're developing a relationship with Ferrari. Nice. And so my kids will go to school and they'll tell their friends, you know, Hey, we have a Ferrari. <laughs> yeah. And then I'll hear their kids tell, say, yeah, Maddox says he has a Ferrari and I'll correct him right in front of them. Yeah. yeah. I'll be like, you don't have crap. You have a hundred dollars <laughs> in your bank account. I just checked it.
1: Yeah. Now, my, I have a Ferrari, right? My, my kids have a McLaren also exactly. as they tell their friends. So I understand. I understand <laughs> yeah. the situation. Yeah. So I'm getting, I'm getting, a, I'm getting a McLaren. I'm like, no,
0: you're, you're not yeah. getting McLaren. Yeah. I'm getting a
1: McLaren. That's not how it works. Yep.
0: And so I think. Um, I won't necessarily sit them down and yeah. say, Hey, this is, this is what we're working. Although they'll come into my home office every once in a while, okay. they'll see that I'm looking at a boring spreadsheet or something. Uh, every once in a while, I'll ask a question, but, um, right now I'm, I'm talking to them a lot about, um, uh, their limitless potential. Love it. Talking about that type of thing, talking about money, about how they have to always save at least 10% of everything they make so they can invest it. Um, so getting him primed up with stuff like that. My uh, nine-year-old the other day, I was talking to him about like what he wants to be when he grows up, and he's like, "Oh, for sure, I'm going to be a professional baseball player." <laughs> and I'm like, "That's awesome, man! You can do it." And he's like, "But if that doesn't work out, Dad, I'm going to come work for you."
1: Okay, all right, like deal. I love it. I- I've got a great book recommendation for you that I read with my daughters when they were a little younger, about your kids' age. It's called How an Economy Grows. And how it crashes hmm. is written by an economist and I'm, I'm drawing a blank on his name right now, but you'll see it. If you go to Amazon and in, uh, in it, it starts off with three guys, it's cartoon style. It starts with three guys on an Island and they're each catching, catching one fish per day. Hmm. And by the end of the book, they get a full blown economy, multi-island, multinational economy. Uh. So it, it covers trading and investing and interest rates and all the things of an economy, but in a really easy to grasp, and, and honestly, not just for kids. I mean, most adults in America yeah, should read this be, book because just, how does this, the one guy actually, without spoiling the book, one guy is like, you know what? I'm tired of catching one fish a day. I'm going to take today off, and I'm going to invest all my time and go make a net. Now, if I make a net, how many fish can I catch per day? And so he just, you know, it starts off like that's that and, awesome, and they start thinking about it. And it. It's a great book to read with your kid at night before they go to bed. And I've read it with my kids and it's something that they may not get all the concepts in it, but it's yeah. just introducing the concepts to the kids. And that's one of my favorite all time recommendations. Dang, I got
0: to say That would be perfect. You, They're would, at you that would love age this
1: one. Yeah. They'll absorb it. And even if they don't know it, um, the other one, I, I did an episode on this, on the pod about Bank of Dad, which I highly recommend also. Mm. I, maybe I got this somewhere. I think I created it, but we'll we'll find out. Someone will probably correct me in the in the comments. But uh, what I did is after reading the book to my oldest daughter, I was like, all right, we're creating the bank of dad. And so you have the opportunity to invest with your dad. And she said, okay. And I said, you know, that's an interest rate. And she's like, uh, 10%. And I was like, oh, okay, it's a little, <laughs> little hefty. And I go, well, it's got to have a time component. She goes, okay, 10% a month. And I was oh, like, goodness. whoa, boy, yeah. Huh? <laughs> That's going to hurt a little bit, but we'll be okay. We'll be all right. This is a good example because we'll get repeated, you know, learnings, right? Is that just a year, right? So I go, well, how much do you want to put in? She went and got her wallet and gave me all the money in her wallet. Like she had $400 and she's like, all right, I'm in. And I was like, hey, listen, uh, I got some bad news for you. Uh, The bank of dad just failed. And We just read that book and she's like, that's okay. I took out insurance with mommy. We're all good to go. And and I was like, all right, we got the concept down. This is great. And so I paid out, you know, at the end of month one, she gets in 40 bucks in interest. She gets 440 back. She's like, all right, plow back in. I'm like, "Oh yeah." I mean, most of my friends are like, I'll take that deal. You know, are you taking other depositors? And yeah, I'm like, no, exactly. there are no depositors <laughs> except my kids on this one. Uh, but then I introduced risk. And so then I would say, all right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to give you a, a 15% if you call the heads or tails at the end of the month, win, mm-hmm. or you're going to take a 5% loss. I hmm. need to introduce that you don't always win when you make investments Yeah, and we're still going to stagger it. So it's got a positive EV for you, hmm. but we want to make it so you're willing to take those losses and start realizing what it's like to fail a little yeah. bit. Right. And that I've had a few friends that have adopted that too. And that's I, that's awesome. Yeah. I ran into a woman, uh, a couple of years ago and she's like, oh yeah, my, still do it with my kids, still do bank of dad. And, uh, it just teaches them, gives them more le- lessons to learn about like, Hey, I'm making an investment. My did you enjoy that? How hard did you work for that? 40 bucks. Cause your money worked for you. You didn't do anything that month. Right. Yeah. And then also introducing the risk and you're like, listen, it's not always going to be up. We all know that it's to me, ups and downs, you're going to have to take on some risks. So that's one thing I've tried to do with my kids to teach them that's about awesome. that stuff.
0: Yeah. That's uh, I remember, uh, as I was going through undergrad and I went to BYU. Okay. So conservative school and, uh, I was waiting tables and, uh, I was waiting tables, and at the end of this table, these guys were pretty cool. I was chatting with them throughout. And uh, this this guy's like, hey, Alan, I can give you like a 20% tip or you can take whatever's in my hand. <laughs> and uh, I'm like, dude, give, what do you got in your hand? And he had a $100 bill, and the tip would have been probably 20 bucks or something. <laughs> nice. So I made 5X. And he said something about how um, – you know gambling's not always a a a great thing but there's a difference between um gambling and taking risk and i've thought about that over the years and what's interesting is that i recently uh got involved in a startup um uh sports book company oh, nice and uh we're we're only like 6 months in but over the years i've started thinking about like how risky business can be and how the greatest payoffs are the, usually the riskiest businesses um i invested in a fintech app and uh haven't heard from the founders <laughs> for, for a few months yeah sure so it's like um you, I, I think when you're when, i think that's such a great lesson to teach your kids so they don't think you know i mean you you can invest in bonds you're gonna get your money back you're sure. gonna get your two three four five percent you can get your money back if government backed. Um, but I'm not looking for a good story. I'm looking for a great one. Yeah. I love that. And, uh, I think that's awesome. You teach your kids about, about risk, man. I, I, it's interesting. My oldest daughter is
1: much, uh, much more comfortable with risk than my younger daughter, so yeah. I have to stagger the odds so much in her favor to for her to take the, my yeah. youngest daughter. So we'll play games. We play like a lot of Rummy Five Hundred. Her and I, and she'll have to be up like three hundred to zero before she'll make the bet or not. And so I have to keep staggering it. I have to find that yeah. spot where she'll be like, "Okay, yep, I'll take that risk." That that seems obvious enough to me. It's a it's a ten to one return, Dad. Yeah, I'll take that risk. Where my other yeah. daughter will be like, any slightest advantage, and she'll be like, "Oh yeah, I'll take that." Yeah, it's got positive EV. I'll take that. Yeah. I in on that. Doesn't ruin awesome. my ruins my bank account. The other the other thing, have you have you uh, started investing for your kids at all? Uh
0: just just in mutual funds and stuff. Nothing okay. crazy. Since you've got so many businesses, you may want to
1: and again this is not tax or financial advice. You may <laughs> want to look into putting the kids on salary and uh investing in a Roth IRA. So my kids are uh, they fully fund their Roth IRA every year. And so it's a, it's by in my opinion the best tax uh deferred or tax uh, um i don't want to call it avoidance but tax uh limiting vehicle there is and Dude, i didn't know kids him. could
0: uh invest in Roths. that's yeah. cool they have to earn income so
1: they, have okay, to have they a salary, have
0: to earn income earn income roth IRA has to be earned income and, and so, they're taxed at the time it's put in not when it's taken out with on a roth right, right. which and is a big thing and they don't make any money so they're under the
1: threshold oh, of yeah. making any money so they get no tax they pay no taxes Oh, that's, that's, I mean, they sharp, pay man. their normal, like, you know, FICA taxes, you know, their social security and Medicare, but they, they, they don't pay any income taxes because they're under yeah. the threshold and then they can put the money into a Roth IRA. Huh. So my kids are, are racking up, you know, we put it into simple index funds and it's just, it's starting to accrue. Right. So it's been a few years now and they've got money in there, you know, you got 20,000 bucks and, you, know, I like you know, each, each next year they're going to they start like it's seven grand now is the max next year in 2024. So they're mm. going to put in seven grand next year. And so it's going to continue to grow and put them, in. it's kind of a plan B. I think like if everything went to hell, yeah, you keep doing this over time. Like you talked about, you know, it's saving the first 10%. Uh, this is a great, like everything went to crap that I've ever taught you and something happens and there's crazy. At least yeah. you've got something yeah, to kind of, you're not going to be impoverished, right? Yeah. You've got something as a plan B. That's not your plan A. This is your plan C or D most right. likely really. So that's yeah, something that's I've cool. done with the kids. It's been fun. That's cool, man. So, uh, what about investing now? How do you think about investing? You sound like you're going for the the bigger winners. Uh, do you yeah. think about it more like venture capital, or do you think about it more like private equity? And and for listeners, how I define that is venture capital yeah. typically needs a, a one winner to pay for the nine losers, where private equity has a needs a much higher batting average. They need to hit eight or nine out of ten but their returns are typically lower. So that venture capital arm is more of a slugging percentage. They're trying to hit the grand slams. And whereas the private equity is more of a singles and doubles hitter, but they got to hit a high percentage. How do you think about that from like investing?
0: So for me, it kind of ebbs and flows. So the stage that I'm at right now is like, I'm looking for some home runs. So I just, um, I just actually let uh, a fund borrow a large amount of money um and you know it's hard money loans, so really high interest short term two months oh wow um um to to close on a couple of deals that they had in their pipeline um but so so right now I'm looking for for some really risky stuff and but if because I have so many businesses that depend on cash flow
1: mm-hmm.
0: um over time that will change where it's like, okay, like we need to, we, we need to make sure that we have enough cash to operate these businesses. Um, so I'm still at the stage where I'm so financially intertwined with my businesses that it's not, I'm not a true investor Got in it. the sense of the word. Right. So, but generally I like higher risk stuff. Um, I you know, I have a couple in the pipeline that are going to be absolute home runs. I was texting one of the founders last night and um, I asked him when his next round is because I'm so excited and I got in on a friends and family round. Um, so I, I like that stuff. I like rolling the dice a, a little more, but uh, there there is a little bit of a mix. So I'm probably middle of the road. Okay, So I'll do some lending um, uh, that's secured at a decent rate, you know, 14, 15% right now Yep, with prime at like eight, a quarter or something. And, um, so I, I like to, I like to diversify kind of like I like to diversify the industries that I'm in with business.
1: No, oh, yeah, that's great. you got a mix of all yeah. those different asset classes as you think about it from a risk perspective along yeah. the, along the risk spectrum. Yeah. No, yeah, for sure. I, I love that. And then how do you think about, you know, depending on what you read or where the study is, they say, you know, a, a business owner makes, of the money he's ever made from a business the day he sells it. Uh, He pulls all that money because he's pulling all the forward revenue and profit to today. Have you sold any businesses or do you think about running these forever? How do you think about like the businesses you own today?
0: I've sold some equity in a couple of businesses. I've never completely sold, but I do have a few on the horizon that I'm going to exit. I have a few um, that, you know, what's funny is that just yesterday I was talking to my wife about Potentially spending a year or two in Puerto Rico, I love it. Um, but we would want a couple of companies to be sold at that time to yeah. kind of make it worth it. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, I think you know I have some businesses that cash flow really well, um, which I I always say that the best way to build a business to sell is to build it not to sell. I agree with you. So we're in that process of with a couple of them where um, they're. W- we're going to, we're going to start kind of looking They're businesses that have been around for five, eight years. And so we're going to be looking at eight, 10 by the time we sell them. And, um, yeah, I mean, it would, to, it, that would, that, that statement would totally be true in my case. Cause most of my net worth is tied up in privately held companies. Right. For sure. <clears throat> have you been to Puerto Rico yet? Yeah. I went, uh, uh, for a podcast, okay. uh, just uh last year, about this time last year. Are you looking have you looked at areas like Las Palmas or El Dorado yet? So I spent some time in El Dorado. Yeah. I rubbed shoulders with some uh pretty wealthy individuals. That's yeah. why they were that's why they're in Puerto Rico. Yeah, of course. And so I spent some time at the Ritz Carlton in El Dorado yeah. and and uh but I've I also spent some time in San Juan. So it's okay, you know, a mix there. And I was talking to my wife about that. I was saying, like, hey, there's some places that, you know, we would have to live in and yep. you know, we have young kids and stuff. So um, yeah, we're, we're mulling over. We have a place in, in, uh, Naples, Florida, okay. which is, you know, not a bad flight, um, from San Juan. So, um, so we'll see.
1: Okay, right. I know a lot of e-commerce entrepreneurs in, in my space that have, uh, moved to Las Palmas. I know a few guys live in El Dorado mm-hmm. and, uh, I, one of my friends actually, he's in the mastermind. He just left. He'd mm. been there for a few years and they, they, him and his young kids and wife and, they moved to South Carolina, actually, because mm. they were they they just I think they got a little tired of the island life after a few years. So, yeah, <clears throat> I, I, we've looked at it. My wife and I have talked about it uh, hasn't been a compelling enough reason to do it yet. Um, so it's something that we've kicked around a little bit because there are some significant tax advantages if done right.
0: Yeah. So w- what we were talking about is setting, uh, you know, we're, we're meeting with our accounts and attorneys mm-hmm. to see like, hey, what would be the difference? And so we're going to have a threshold. And it's looking like it's going to be, you know, 10 to 15 million right around that range where it's like, okay, if it's above that, we're probably going to do it. Yep. Or we're going to consider it at least. Yeah,
1: I think that's a smart way to do it. Yeah, well, that's exciting. Well, I appreciate
0: you coming in. This has been a great yeah, conversation. We can awesome. sit here and talk all day long. All day,
1: man. I love this stuff. So love meeting new people and having great conversations about this. I think there were a lot of nuggets for people to take away from this and take action. What would you advise somebody? I like, I, I like, I feel like a lot of podcasts and a lot of conversations leave like people get motivated, but they don't really know what to do next. Yeah. Are there any action steps or action? Someone, who's a, let's call them a entrepreneur. Someone yeah. Who wants to start a business. And they've been thinking about it for a few years or a few months, and they're ready to take action. Any advice for someone like that?
0: I mean, it's a little biased, but uh, DM me on Instagram. Oh, there and you And I'll go. give you some next steps. I'll give you a 15-minute pep talk. Perfect. Um,
1: Where can people find that? What's, what's so your handle?
0: My, so my handle's real Alan Draper. Okay. And I recently just completely revamped my social media nice. with an emphasis on uh, it actually being real, what the real world is like. And so changed my handle and everything. But um, yeah, I think the, I don't know specifically for, for the listener, but they need to do something where they just can't back out. Mm. So whether that's go buy, you know, a piece of machinery or something, or move to Detroit, Michigan, right? It's it's a lot harder when you kind of burn the boats, so to speak. Yeah. So you, you have to do something like that on kind of the lower end, less risky end. Um, just start, just start reading something Mm -hmm. or, you know, listen to podcasts like this one, get, get that motivation, keep it going. Um, If it's inside of you, you, you will not allow yourself to not do it. It's just there. I can't imagine me not being an entrepreneur, right? I I was doing this article for a local magazine and they asked what my first job was. And I was trying to remember because I started working when I was like seven years old. I was like, (laughs) I was hustling the neighbors for raking their leaves and, you know, shoveling snow. I, uh, one of my first like W two jobs was when I was 14 years old, I would fry donuts before I'd go to school every (laughs) single morning for two hours. That's awesome. So, um, that type of person, like, I can't imagine anything else, but yeah, reach out to me. I'm happy to like point people in the right direction, check out some good resources, stay motivated. Or if you really want to do something big, make an investment, um, a financial or physical investment in something that's going to make it hard for you to back out. I love that. So Instagram, real
1: Alan Draper, A L L A N. Correct. Draper. Okay. Correct. I just want to yep. make sure. So that's a place to find him. Thanks, thanks for everybody. everybody. I appreciate it. Go check out, uh, Alan on uh, Instagram and, uh, thanks so much. All right, brother. All right. Appreciate that's you, it. man. Appreciate you. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please subscribe, leave a review and share with friends. Visit I'm the one.com and ask me anything. And as always, stay curious and never stop becoming the one.